good evening. Nobody blew away today. It felt like West Texas today. I just memories, bad memories, nightmares. That's what that was. But uh, anyway, it kind of stirs up the atmosphere a little bit. Well, it's uh, good to be back. We were in Colorado Springs at a Ransomed Heart. If you're familiar with John Eldridge, uh, we went to the Ransomed Heart Homecoming, Annette and I, and uh, Evan and Memily uh, went as well, and Heidi. Spence also went as well, so we had a whole, whole contingent from our church there. It was just a wonderful weekend, and, and uh, they've never done an event like this before where they bring, if you're familiar with John Eldridge, he, did, he wrote Wild at Heart, Epic, uh, several books, all things new, and um, they always do a men's event up in the mountains of Colorado, Fraser and that Granby, that area, and then they do a, a women's event called Captivating, so they do a boot camp for men, Captivating for Ladies, but this is the first time they ever pulled everybody together, so there's about 1,200 of us there in Colorado Springs, and uh, it's kind of weird because it was warmer in tech, it actually was warmer there than it was here at one point, so, but it was a sweet time and, and just very refreshing, it was... Um, there comes a point in, in a person's life, and some of you have been there, done that, where you realize you're running so hard, so fast for so long that uh, you're just starting to run out of juice a little bit. And that, that ministry kind of had a wake-up call over the last couple of years, and they've, they've realized they need to dial some things back and begin to take care of their soul. Uh, because what John's concerned is this, when we lose, whole, we lose our heart, we lose wholeheartedness. And so it was just a call back to what matters, uh, drinking in beauty, uh, receiving from the Lord His love, His grace, walking with Him, intimacy with Christ, union with Christ, all those things that uh, we're familiar with and we talk about here a lot, and I do. But it was just really refreshing to hear somebody at, at his stage in the game uh, talking about that. And so there'll be a couple of things out of that that I will share with you on Sunday. We're going to do a sermon on Sunday called uh, Stormproofing the ho- Yourself for the Holidays. Stormproofing uh, Yourself for the Holidays because there's going to be a lot of folks in our church that will go back to families of origin that are not always as excited as some. It, it can be a hard time. It can be traumatic even. If there were traumatic events in childhood and whatnot, then you reinsert yourself into that atmosphere can be very difficult. The suicide rate goes up during the holidays, about this time on through the first of the year. Depression is also much higher. The, there is actually a condition. The holiday blues is a real condition. It's not just uh, something we've sung about or uh, Elvis sang about, Blue Christmas, right? But uh, I actually remember that. My grandmother had that Christmas album. Anybody remember the Blue Christmas album? Yeah. So uh, I grew up here in that. And, but, but there's actually a reality to that, an actual psychological component, and I believe a spiritual component as well. So we're going to talk about that on Sunday, but I'm also going to give you some tools and a resource that I think will help you uh, navigate, and then we're going to pray over all of our people and commission you for the holidays. Well, some of us need to be commissioned to go back into our families, because you're stepping back into a mission field, you know what I mean? And uh, what, we, what we don't want you to do is go back to, to your family and act like you're 13 again and feel like you're 13 again. And is it, am I the only human that ever has happened to where you get around some folks? And it's true, isn't it, that family can push your buttons quicker than anybody? They know you well. And so we want to stormproof you for that. And so that you go in and you realize who you are in Christ, that you're not who they think you are. And, uh, and you've actually maybe have grown up a little bit since the last time they saw you, right? So we'll, we'll get you ready for that. So be praying for Sunday. I'm excited. Did you all enjoy Pastor Chris from Houston? Yeah, I'm kind of fond of him. Actually, some of you have told me, hey, you could just stay. I mean, we'll, we'll take him. I'm like, hey, whoa, whoa, that was not the deal. Every once in a while. He sounds like you. Does he? Uh, he's pretty fiery. He's he's a man. He's a great kid. Of course, I could tell stories on him too. I'm sure he told. We we watched. We actually watched online while we were there, and and uh, it was just it was really sweet. And that burst into tears about five times while we were watching it. I'm so proud of him. It's beautiful. It's cool. It's it's neat to see him grow up. Do what? <laughs> so, but yeah, one of my favorite memories of Chris is. 
walking down the hallway of our house and hearing this singing coming out of his room. And I, I, I walked up to his door, and he was going for it. He was, he was a teenager, and he, was, he knew every song of every Boys to Men record that there was. And he was in there singing those songs just with everything he had. But what's so neat about, about Chris is just watching him grow, first of all, as a young musician. He's a phenomenal drummer, one of the best drummers I've ever played with. And then in high school, he really wanted to play guitar. And so he began to bother me about, hey, would you teach me how to play the guitar? We know how it is teaching your own kids something, right? That's like when Annette wanted me to teach her to play tennis, and that didn't go so well. So um, there's something about teaching your own family sometimes. And, and so uh, I was like, gosh, I just don't know if he really wants to do it. He's a drummer. And uh, I gave him, I decided to give him my guitar, and I had a really nice Alvarezieri, uh beautiful guitar I'd played for years and taken all over the world. And I sort of bequeathed that guitar to him. I wrote a little thing on it, just kind of a statement of, rite of passage, like handing off a sword or something. And uh, within three months, he was leading worship at his Christian school. Within three months, he just, he took it and ran with it. And so, and now to watch him, he's developed uh, as a drummer, as a guitar player, and now just uh, a man rightly dividing the word of truth, a man of God. And so, yeah, it did me good. It did me much better. I think Annette and I got a lot more out of it than you did, and I know y'all got something out of it. So anyway, we encouraged him a lot. Some of you sent me texts, and I was getting messages and all kinds of stuff, people. And I, everything that was sent to me, I just sent it right to him, and it did as well. Just encourage him. He needs to know, and I want him to become a friend and a family member of this church. And by the way, I'm that for his, too. I've preached in his church many times, and uh, great story about that for another time, but uh, about how he even ended up there. It's, it's a miracle and a beautiful thing, and God has just touched it. So anyway, thank you for loving our son well, and he loves you too, So, and he wanted me to tell you that. So let's pray as we get started. Father, what a privilege to be together, sons and daughters, friends and family, before you, in your presence, opening your word, opening uh, truth, seeking you, and even now, Father, we consecrate, we, we consecrate our eyes, we consecrate our ears, we consecrate our hearts, we consecrate our minds, our spirit, because we want to learn. We posture ourselves as disciples. We posture ourselves as those who want to know the truth that makes us free. Father, even as we continue to pray into harvest, we ask, Lord, to raise up workers for the harvest. And even as we pray into spiritual awakening, we say, Father, open our eyes, awaken us to the truth that already is, Christ in us, the hope of glory. So, Father, we thank you that tonight you have something to teach us, something to say. And more than even content here, Lord, we're more about you. We want you. Yes, we want to learn. Yes, we want to grow. We want to expand our capacity. We want to grow in our faith and grow in our understanding, our comprehension of, of who you are. But even more than those things, we want you. And Father, I thank you that all we have to do is open our eyes because you're already here. Thank you. Teach us how to host your presence well and set our lives on a trajectory that one day we'll look back and we'll, our minds will be blown how far we've come, how we've grown as individuals and as a church family. And Father, we pray for our community, for Fredericksburg and the surrounding area. And what a privilege it is to be here in this season, in this time. And Father, we're mindful that, that even as things may be well for us, and maybe we can say it as well with our souls, we have others in, in our midst that are going through very difficult times. And even now, uh, Father, we call Chuck and Melissa and Seth Hughes before your throne. We escort them into the throne room of grace. And Father, your word says that we can find mercy and help. So we escort them. It's as though we're bringing them in and presenting them to you. And Father, we ask, would you do what only you can do? Would you release peace? Would you release your grace? Grace upon grace. Greater measures of your grace. And Father, we love this family. We speak life over them. 
hope over them, grace over them. And Father, Lord, we submit to you and say, Father, would you do the miraculous? Would you do that which is supernatural, above and beyond nature, above and beyond what is normal and natural? And Father, we speak a life. And Father, I thank you that even as I talk to Chuck today, we, we realize we are not like those who are without hope in this world and that this, this is not our home. And we trust you in that. We lean into that. So we give that to you. We honor you in it. Bless them. Encourage them. And may your shalom completely envelop them. And may they know your presence even now in this season, more than they've ever known in their entire lives. In Jesus' name, if you agreed, would you say amen? Amen. 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 Continue to pray for them as, as they're navigating some things. And um, there'll be more information forthcoming over the next day or two. So. Uh, if you're on social media, Facebook, and all that, you'll, you'll see that uh, they're gonna. Melissa's gonna post some stuff. So, just giving an update on them. I don't. I don't want to get ahead of that. So, anyway, just continue to pray for them. So, chapter seven. If you have your book, go to page seventy. If you're not, we're gonna. Well, I'll help you navigate some of that with a screen. And uh, there'll be some pieces out of here that I want to go to. And uh, as I've been studying this. I, I, I can pretty much guarantee I'm getting a lot more out of this than you all are. And I'm just saying because I am studying, I am receiving. And even this afternoon as I was reading and highlighting and underlining, I was just like, thank you, Lord. Thank you for truth. Because what truth does, it sets us free. Amen? Not the concept of truth, but the person of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. He said, I am the truth. And so when we have him, we have freedom. And the closer and the, the more my eyes are opened and the more awakened I become to that, the more life comes, the more freedom comes, and it's amazing. It's one thing to declare something by faith, but there's also another level of experience where you begin to actually experience that freedom. It's not just a declaration you make and hope that someday your, your body and life will match up to your declaration. It's just it's amazing as he releases freedom in our lives. You know what comes? Joy comes. You know what comes? Love comes. You know what comes? Peace comes. And when, when the whole world seems to be going mad and losing its mind, and I'm the only one noticing that right now, is it just me? Is it, does it seem different? Does it seem more intense? Do things seem amplified and magnified? Uh, I've, I don't know in my lifetime I've ever seen what we're seeing today. And, uh, but here's the deal. We have the capacity in Christ to live above the fray. We already know that it's a statement of truth. We've been raised up together, seated in Christ, where? In heavenly places, which places us in Him far above all principality, power, mountain. That's us. That's who we are. And the beautiful thing of that is, is that it's in past tense, which means it's already happened. It is already there. And so we live in this kind of a, feels like dualism sometimes where you're, where you're like, okay, the Word says I'm here. I believe I'm here. I declare I'm here, but I feel like I'm over here. And that's just the, the dichotomy that we live in of living in this meta-narrative, this bigger story, and then this lower story. And so we're still relegated to space, time, matter, that which you can see, touch, taste, feel, smell, that we're sort of stuck in limbo in this season, but not forever. Amen? And there'll be a day when we're released from these, these bodies and uh, they may grow weary and, and frail, but our spirit will soar. Amen? And we'll be in his presence. And who knows what that's going to be like. We get some clues in the scripture, and I'm not going to go into that right now. But I get excited thinking in terms of who we are in Christ and whose we are. We're his. He is ours, and we are his. Amen? And let the truth of that lift you above the fray. Lift you above the bad news. Lift you above what's coming into your news feed every day. My gosh. None of us were ever meant to carry and have the empathy it takes to carry the pain of the world. But whoever thought we would have it on our phones every day coming at us in one news release after another. We're seeing things in real time that we weren't meant to see. Amen? And what happens is that we're just inundated and we do not have, nor we were designed to have the capacity to handle everything that's coming in our face. TMI. You know what that means? Too much information. 
And I would even say too much too soon, amen? I'm not anti-phones. I'm not, I got the latest, greatest. I love this stuff. I'm, I'm a nerd when it comes to this stuff. But there's got to be a line that we draw in the sand where we go, wait a minute, enough's enough, amen? So we're, as, we, as we're in this world, we have been given the capacity to live above it. And that's what I love, living up in a down world, amen? I think somebody's rocking a shofar over there. I'm not sure. Was that a shofar? Okay, I got goosebumps just then. All right, let's go. Chapter 7, self-protection. Now, Bill gave a whole chapter to this one because this is, this is where we live. This is where we live, where most people live. And so as we go through this, I'm going to go ahead and pull this up on the screen because not everybody has this. I love this, John 13, 34, a new command. I give you, Jesus speaking, love one another as... I have loved you, so you must love one another. Hey, that's one great command right there. Um, He's saying, do this. As I've loved you, now you get the privilege of loving him. And what's so awesome about that, that doesn't mean gritting our teeth and trying harder. Amen? What it literally means is resting into this truth. Christ in you and through you, the hope of glory. Being crucified with Christ. And I no longer love, but Christ lives in me. But that little present participle, it's epsilon pneuma in the Koine Greek, in, and it's translated in, but it also means through, by, or with. So not only does Christ live in you, he lives with you. Not only does he live with you, he lives by you. Not only does he live by you, he lives through you. That present participle is a game changer. And it's a shame our English translations don't always put that in there. That's a shame because we're missing, I think, one of the key points to living above the fray in this world. And as realizing it's not me gritting my teeth and trying harder, it's me surrendering more to what he wants to do in and through me. That means when you show up, Jesus shows up, right? You don't go to Walmart by yourself, amen? These days, I don't want to ever go to Walmart by myself, I'm just saying. But there's too much stuff in the news, again, on my news feed, it's scary, But I go in there knowing I've got Jesus Christ in me, going before me, and before I ever meet that that sweet lady that sits by the door sometimes, before I ever get to her and say, hi, Jesus is already, she's already encountering something that she knows not of. Have you ever met somebody and you just realize, I think we're kin, I think we're family, I I feel like kinfolk, has that ever happened to you? You find out they're a believer, and in your mind you go, God, I knew they were a believer, You ever said that? Walked away from it? I knew they had to be. What is that? That's Christ in them and Christ in you connecting. It's amazing. We have koinonia. We have fellowship just by showing up. And then I love the old term, show up and he'll show out. Amen? Show up and let him just release and just let him do what he does. And what do we get to do? We get to enjoy. We get to protect. We're joint heirs, co-laborers. That means co-labor. We collaborate, but we co-labor with him. Amen? We co-operate with him. It's amazing. So here's what the problem is here, and we're about to identify this, is an issue of self-protection. And we're going to unpack this a little bit today. I think Bill did a great job on this, and we'll talk about it and share a little bit about this. So let's go to our our book if you have it. Self-protection as part of our spiritual plaque. Remember he talked about solical plaque? Plaque is that stuff that clogs up your arteries. In a spiritual sense, what happens is is you're flowing, you're free, but then you start to get gummed up. The works get gummed up. Things begin to happen. Things clutter our souls, so to speak, so that things are not flowing like they were. And if you've ever... I've talked to people that I've not had this happen, but I've talked to many people in my 35 years of doing this that went in and had a heart bypass or had a stent put in, and they were like, I feel better than I felt in years. They didn't even realize how bad they felt because they were living with it like a frog in the kettle that was heating up. They had just gotten accustomed to living at this level when they should have been living at this. I know over a year and a, gosh, it's been a year and a couple months ago, three months ago, Annette and I decided to change our eating habits, and we've drug a few of you with us on that little journey, and we're still doing it. And the thing is, is we went to Colorado Springs, and we decided, hey, we're in Colorado. We're, keto is out the window for a few days. Ugh. I, the food tasted great at first, but I'm telling you, when we got back, we were like, ah, the works were gummed up again. That's what solical plaque is like. 
So we're like hardcore the last couple of days. We've got to get back into ketosis because we just feel terrible because all this junk's in our system. But that's what solical plaque is, the clutter that happens. And so he's going to talk about it here, and we're going to look at it as spiritual plaque, this buildup that clogs up the system. So what do we mean by self-protection? Here's the here's definition. Self-protection means constructing walls in your soul. Walls in your soul, your spirit, your body, your mind, the seat of your mind, will, and emotions. Constructing walls in the soul, the person of who you are, to prevent others from hurting or rejecting you again. If you have a pulse, you've been hurt or rejected. Amen? This is, this is the greatest assault on a human life is relationship. It's an assault on relationship. The enemy wants to take you out and divide and conquer. That's his M.O. That's why he hates the word family. He hates the word, when I say things like connection is protection. There's something about being connected to a body, a group of people. It means you've got to be vulnerable. It means you're going to get exposed. It means you're going to get hurt. It means you might get offended unless you've read the book Unoffendable by Brent Hansen, right? That book's a joyful read. You should read that book. Then you can go, oh, this is that. Oh, I recognize this in me. So now I know what to do about it. It's a great tool, great resource. Brent Hansen unoffendable. And it's a fun read. He's such a good writer, and he has a great sense of humor as well. But what happens is we get offended. We stumble over things. And what is it? It's an assault on relationship. You do know you were created by God for relationship, right? The whole point, the even reason we were birthed into existence and created was because God wanted relationship. Now, he already had relationship going. We can always say, yeah, the Trinity, but there was a whole lot more. Remember, the universe is highly populated. There's a lot more than just God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit up there, right? There is a whole host. The Bible calls it the host of heaven. The Bible calls it in the Old Testament the council of God. There is a group. There's, so it's not like he needed more people to hang out with, but he released his love and said, I'm going to create something very unique, and we're going to call them man and woman. <laughs> we're going to call them man and woman. And he created us, and it was all about relationship. And he gave us probably the most beautiful and dangerous gift on the planet. I call it brutal. He gave us the gift of free will. Because true love only happens out of free choice, right? And so he sets this up. And boy, right out, of the, right out of the gate, what happens? The fall, right? And we have been living under the influence of the fall ever since. And don't, get too, don't be too hard on Adam and Eve, okay? Because we are they and they are us, right? <laughs> We'd have done the same thing. But the beautiful thing is that God has been redeeming this thing ever since. We are on a track of redemption. And the beauty of it is Jesus came and completely shut this whole thing down. And he called it, uh, the last words on the cross, to tell us die. To tell us die. It's finished. Paid in, debt's paid in full. It's a done deal. So now we begin to live into what we were created to be from the beginning. But understanding we still live in a fallen world, right? Snipers still shoot people. Car wrecks still happen. Cancer happens. Life happens happens. This world is spinning out of control. So we're in the residue. We catch all the residue of this world. And you know what? The beauty of it is, is because of Christ in us living his life through us, we get to literally live above that fray. I'm telling you, it's yours. It's ours. It's mine. It's shalom. It's the peace of God that passes all understanding. It's hallelujah anyway. It's you're in the bar ditch, you hallelujah, right? You're down in the valley. It's hallelujah. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We don't stop and pitch a tent there. We walk through it, and we will fear no evil, and surely goodness and mercy will follow us. And that word literally means pursue is to overtake. That word follow means pursue. Surely mercy and goodness will pursue us and overtake us. I played football coach. I know what it means to be tackled from behind. It's humiliating, for one, because some guys are a lot faster than I was. But it's painful because you think you've got it. There's the goal line. The crowd's cheering, and all of a sudden, you get somebody on your neck, and you're crushed. 
But here's what mercy and goodness do. They pursue us and overtake us. You're getting tackled from behind by mercy and goodness. Is that not good news? Come on, somebody. This is called good news for a reason. Because it's good. Because God, by his very nature, is good no matter what is happening. Hallelujah anyway, right? So we lean into that and we trust that. But here's what happens. We get hurt. We experience rejection. We get left behind. We get passed over. We get neglected. We get ignored. And we get hurt and we get wounded. And once that happens, we move into a place. And some of us in our lifetime have even made unrighteous vows like this. I will never let that happen again. And what we do is we build a shield, a structure around our heart called self-protection. And we go into our shell like a turtle moves into its shell and just protects itself. Hunker down and you say, I'll never be hurt again. The problem is, is you won't live again. And I've been there. I've been crushed. I've been hurt. I've been decimated. We all have at different times and we have a choice to make. Will I be better or will I be bitter about this? What will it be? We have a choice. And in Christ, he can rise us up out of the ashes, and we do not have to live there. And nothing breaks my heart more than to see people who are bitter, who are jaded, who are hard. Why? Because they're self-protecting. You know why a hug is so amazing? Because when you hug somebody, you have to expose yourself. You don't hug somebody like this. Oh, some of us do these little bro hugs, a little bump. Grab the fist, little bump thing. That's not a hug. That's a bro bump. That's, that's not even a real hug. A real hug means you open your heart. You expose your vital organs. You're saying, I'm open. I'm here. Bring it in here. And it's, it's a complete exposure. And that's what God is calling us to is this openness. This openness. Did you ever see that video? It's been years ago. When that, that guy was, I think it was in San Francisco or, or somewhere, maybe San San Diego, one of those places in Los Angeles, free hugs. Remember that? It's been years ago. And this guy just got this crazy idea, so he got this sign, and he just did free hugs. And then somebody was videoing it. You know, of course, it went viral. And people were coming up to him going, what? And he's just like, bring it in here. And he was hugging people. And at first, it looked real awkward, and people were like a little nervous. You know, come on, free hugs, right? But then people, it caught on, and then it just kind of went viral. Once it went viral, people started doing it everywhere, and still to this day, that kind of thing happens. My daughter, Faith, attends UTSA in San Antonio, just inside the 1604 there, and she said, there's this guy on campus, the whole time he was there for her four years, and now he's graduated, but he comes back two days a week to do this thing. He stands out in the middle of the commons, where the intersection is, where everybody goes. He blows bubbles and shouts, compliments to people all day long. So like when people walk by and he's blowing bubbles, he goes, you, you're amazing. And then somebody else walks by and goes, you, you're awesome. Has anyone told you how awesome you are today? And then he'll see somebody else and he'll compliment. And face it, at first it was really weird. The first time she thought, whoa, what's going on? And somebody, oh, he's always done this. He has a name and everybody knows who he is. And people now will walk by him on purpose just to get a compliment. I need to hear something good today. I know he's going to be out there after class. I'm going to go. And people will actually go up. And she said there are actually days where people join him in the, in the revelry. Somebody else will bring their bubbles too. So you got three or four people out there shouting compliments at people. Hey, if you're going to shout, it might as well be a compliment, right? I don't know about you. That brings a smile to my face. I, love the, I don't even know that guy, but I love him. I want to meet him. And maybe one day I'll get to him to say, do you know how awesome you are? So just give it right back. Amen? So self-protection is the opposite. It's shutting down and saying, no, I will not be hurt again. I will not be rejected again. In fact, I'm going to make sure of it. So much so, I'm going to build a fortress around my heart because I'm not going to let anybody hurt me again. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if I did, I have to say, a lot of us have made that vow that I will never be hurt like that again. And we literally shut down the potential for life. Here's the thing. Love, real love, not not the world, not just sensual love, not just brotherly love, but true agape love is powerful. I started to say risky, but it's really not. What are we risking, really? 
when we take the love of Christ and release Christ through us, is that risky at all? No, it's Him. It's Him in us, living His life through us. That's not risky. And I got to tell you, it's fun. Because when you start living more aware and you actually walk into an establishment or a building or the workplace with that on your mind and you're thinking, Lord, go ahead of me and love somebody radically before I even get to them. May the aroma of Christ already hit them. I mean, it's like what, I don't know what cologne my grandmother wore all my life growing up, but I'm telling you, if I ever smell that smell again, I'm like, Granny, where's my grandmother? But it before she entered the room, her cologne, her perfume, whatever it was, no telling, whatever it was would get there long before she did, and we knew she was coming. Never caught us doing anything off guard because we knew she was coming in. And I mean, and she would hug you and kiss you, and guess what you smelled like? Granny. <laughs> Granny. And it was funny growing up. It was like, oh, here she comes, and then she just must have come right out of the out of the shower because she is covered and, and her aroma would get there before she did. Her aroma would get there before the person got there. And Jesus, oh man, the scripture says this, Paul says, we're the aroma of Christ. He's in us, but he's, just, he's leaking out of us. He's wafting out of us. And he's touching people even before you get there. If I ever have to have a difficult meeting, not that I ever do as a pastor have to have those, but if I ever do, I always say, Jesus, may you get there before I get there. May you completely diffuse. May you completely eliminate and eradicate anything that's not of the kingdom, anything that's not of you, anything that's not pleasing to you. Would you go before me? You know what? I have full confidence when I step into a room, Christ is already there because he doesn't only lives with us and by us and in us. He lives through us. Amen? So we got to get to this place where we go, okay, how much will I trust Jesus? And can I begin to peel the body armor that I've built over my heart away and stop self-protecting? So let's look into this, dive into this a little bit. Unfortunately, no one escapes being a self-protector. Look at page 70. I'm going to read just a little section out of it because it's one of the results of the fall of Adam. So on page 70 down towards right, it says, what is behind self-protection? says this, the key driver in self-protection is fear. Some might say, well, it's pride or it's this. But really, fear is one of the roots. I mean, that is like a, the root of the tree. That's the, the tap root, the main root of the tree. So fear, and what, what is the fear that, that we have? So here's some examples. See if you can relate to any of these, all right? This is a common fear for everybody. The fear of rejection. Oh, yeah, we've all had that. You know what's funny? We can look back and go, yeah, when I was a kid, but we still, as grown men and women, still wrestle with this. Now, I don't know if anyone ever told you, I'm going to bust a myth, we never really grow up. We get older, we cover things a lot better, we self-protect better, we get better at that, but is that really growing up? Is that really maturing? I'm telling you, I still feel like I could dunk a basketball. But if I walk out on a basketball court right now and try to, I'm going to hurt something. I'm telling you, I, I can stumble over the edge of the couch and I pull a muscle. I can reach back over my car seat and I'm down for the count. I, something happened. It's not, things aren't working like they used to. But in my mind, I can still jump. I still got a vertical jump in my mind. But I'm telling you, it's not reality. Why? Because our minds don't really shift. We don't mature per se. We still think we're 18. 17. Some of us still act like it. Amen? <laughs> Don't point nobody. All right, here we go. Fear of rejection. Here's another one. Fear of being hurt again. That's a huge fear. I'm going to guard. I'm building a fortress around my heart. No one. I have body armor here, and nobody's going to get to my heart. Fear of failure. Oh, there's a big one. We all hear that voice sometimes that says, you're not going to make it. This is not going to work out for you. And the tragic thing is that voice sounds a lot like us, but it's not. There is an imitator. There's a counterfeit. He's called the father of lies. He's, he was called a murderer from the beginning, a liar, and the father of it in John chapter 8. It's the enemy. It's the devil. Fear of failure. How about the fear of being exposed or found out? 
Who hasn't had that thought cross across? If they really knew me, if they really knew, they would see me as an imposter. By the way, I spoke about John, Ram, uh, John Dave Ramsey, John, John Ramsey, John Eldridge. I went to boot camp a couple of years ago. Is it two years, three years ago? I'm losing count. Happens when you get a little older. You just, time just flies. But I was out there, and gosh, it was remarkable. And I went with a very open heart. Sometimes as pastors, if we're not careful, we'll be jaded when we go to ministry events because we're like, oh, been there, I should be teaching that. Oh, yeah, I've been there, done that, oh, I already know this. But I just went with a total open heart. I said, God, do some heart surgery on me. Peel back more layers. And I went with a total open heart. Didn't tell anybody I was a pastor there. I just was there. I was just one of the dudes, one of the guys, and sleeping in the bunks with everybody else. And just, it's just, I'm, I'm one of the guys. I had a blast. But, not but, however, when I sat down with my journal and started writing stuff, weird stuff started coming off the end of my pen. And I didn't even realize I was writing it at first. And it said things like imposter, imposter, poser fake, counterfeit, illegitimate. That was the one that really got me. So after I wrote several of these things in my journal, I kind of went, whoa. Because I asked the Lord, do what you want to do. And he was like, I'm exposing your inner dialogue. It's not inner dialogue anymore. You just wrote it in your journal. And there it is. Now I've got that journal. It's like a couple pages. It's all bad. It's all nasty. It's all... It's all solical plaque. It's all what we're talking about, spiritual plaque. And it's like, wait, where did that come from? Your heart. (laughs) It came out of you. It came out of your core. Because deep down, you still fear rejection. Man, this is a heck of a job to have if you fear rejection. I'm just saying. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's an oxymoron for me even to be up here. But the Lord exposed that in me. Why did he expose that? It's the grace of God that exposes our junk because he loves us so much. He wants to get us through it and get us over it and get us healed. Amen? When junk comes to the surface, this happens in churches all the time, I'll get a call from somebody, oh my gosh, my husband's blowing up, he's losing his mind, he's binging. I'm like, finally, yes, now we can deal with it. Now we got a target. Now we got something to work with. As long as it's hidden, as long as he is a functional alcoholic, we can't really do anything with that. But once he finally exposes himself, praise the Lord even though it's ugly. It is the grace of God that drives things to the surface in you and me. When we have this ugliness, you ever have an ugly moment? You ever have a, it, do you have a wrong side of the bed too? Do y'all, I don't know if anybody has that. I, I got one of those. And when I get off of that side of the bed, it's this ugly stuff comes up. And you know what happens? The Lord says, finally, you're being honest. Finally, I can deal with that. That's after I apologize to Annette for being a dork. So, so the Lord in his love and his grace will push things to the surface. And even though it seems horrible in the moment, it's actually your moment of grace. It's your moment of being healed. It's the step over moment. We cannot shoot something you can't see. That's why when you're hunting rabbits, you whistle. And they go, what? What's that? And then there you go. 22 hollow point. Boom. That's it. You got to get them. You got to expose anything before. So God loves you so much. So that fear of being exposed or found out, all of us have lived with it or do. And when it's about the time you think you're really done with that, <laughs> the Lord loves you so much, he'll bring it back up and say, well, there's still some left over here. Let's, let's get this done. Fear of losing control. Oh, I know no one in this room has that. Fear of losing control. So what do we do? We overcompensate. We self-protect. We manipulate. We maneuver We practice benevolent manipulation where we allow people to think they're in control when really we're steering the whole thing, right? Am I the only human in the room here? Have you ever heard that term, benevolent manipulation? we, We do it. We do it with a smile on our face, but we're controlling the situation. So that fear of losing control. Listen to this. These walls imprison us. Let the imagery of that settle in. Picture yourself in jail in prison, behind bars. I was telling Annette that when, when we were in Colorado, I said, yeah, one time my parents took me and my brother to the Colorado State Prison for a tour. I'm like, 
what kind of dad takes their kids to prison for a tour? And she said, well, maybe he was trying to scare you or something. I don't know. It was pretty crazy. But think about it. So I've got a pretty vivid image of prison, though I've never been personally, but I've been in many. These walls, thank you, Siri, just shut up. Okay, these walls imprison us. You know about technology intervening? I don't know why she thought I called her name. These walls imprison us because they not only hinder us from receiving God's love, but they prevent us from loving others and being loved in return. I want to share this quote. It's a great quote. It's in your book. Fear blocks our responsiveness to others. This is the problem with this. When you are locked down and shut down in fear, fear of rejection, fear of being exposed, fear of losing control, when you're shut down, here's what it does. It diminishes your capacity, and we only get a fraction of who you are. Any, any person who tells you, well, the stuff I do in private is not affecting anyone else, that is a, that is a lie that you have bought into. Because what's happening is you're being diminished in private. And so when you come out, we're only getting 60% of you, 30% of you, 40% of you. You think you're hiding it, but we're not getting all that you are because of the guilt, because of the shame, because of the out-of-control behavior, because of the hiding, the medicating, the escapism that you're practicing in and swimming in. It's diminishing your capacity, so we do not get all that you are. We don't fully know you because you're hiding Self-protection. Does this make sense? Is this somewhat logical? Listen to this. Fear interferes. This is uh, from David, David Benner's book. Fear interferes with the impulse to love. This is huge. Energy invested in maintaining safety and comfort always depletes energy available for love of others. As we protect ourselves, we actually diminish what we can give out. And aren't we called to give our lives away? Aren't we called to... Here's the beauty about love and grace is that the more you give away, the more there is available. You can't outgive God. That's not just a money thing. Preachers, people have used that for money and stuff. You can't outgive God in anything. You have a question? And you know what? That is a very real fear. Because what if I raise the bar so high I can, never, I can never maintain that? What if by being successful I now take on more responsibility? Now I'm responsible for what I know and for what I do. Let me tell you, the fallacy of that is that it's not you in the first place. If it's Christ in you living his life through you, then you are free to succeed, you're free to fail, and you're free to live. That's the beauty of it. When you're free... You're free. You're not locked in to anyone's expectation. I could really go off on this, but I'm not going to maintain myself a little. But I'm telling you, there's a reason I put free indeed on my, inked myself with it. Never thought I would ever use those words. But there's a reason that I did that, that I put that on my arm. Because in Christ, I'm free. So whether I'm successful or not is actually irrelevant in the bigger scheme of things, in the meta-narrative, the bigger story. We get so caught up in what's right in front of us, right? Tyranny the urgent. We live in the tyranny the urgent. We live in this moment. But look what this says. Energy invested in maintaining, that's keeping things safe and comfortable, always depletes energy available for the love of others. And we are called to love radically and freely. I'm telling you, I love you, and there is nothing you can do about it. I love that. Bill will wreck you with that, right? I love it. Listen to this. Ways that we self-protect. Here's a few. Avoidance. Oh, man. I, you know what? I got hurt. This reminds me of a situation that I got hurt in, so I'm not even going to go in there. It's not even the same situation. doesn't even have to be. It can be decades later. But something triggers in us, and the enemy's smart because, oh, man, he understands how a gun works, and there's a firing pin in you. But here's the deal. When you're truly free in Christ, the firing pin is removed out of your gun. The enemy can cock it. He can pull the trigger, but nothing will happen. It will not fire if there's not a firing pin. And what Jesus does is he removes the firing pin of that pain, of that memory, of that trauma, of that loss of control, of that failure. He removes the pain of it. I'll never forget Annette 
speaking in front of a group of ladies, talking about, and I'm just going to say it out because she would right now, without flinching, she was molested and raped by two boys when she was, what, 13? 13 years of age. And there was a time she could not tell that story or talk about it without tears streaming down her face because of the pain and the trauma. Oh, but God. Oh, but God, watching her grow through the years. And then we were, she was speaking at a ladies' gathering, and there was a bunch of women there, and she got up and told that story, and not a tear and no pain. And she said, I realized something. I'm completely healed. I'm completely free. And from that day forward, she can tell that story and not melt into a puddle on a stage. Why? Because Jesus came in, removed the firing pin, and the enemy can pull that trigger all day long. It can try to trigger that pain, trigger the trauma, trigger the memory picture, but it's been forever changed by the love of Jesus because Annette got a revelation of the love of Christ and changed her. So now she can tell that story of trauma and pain, and she is in a healthy way detached, in a healthy way dissociated from it because she's healed. When you're healed, there's no pain, right? The enemy has no leverage. When Christ comes in and pulls out the firing pin. Ed, was there something else or were you just waving hallelujah? Amen. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Give us a wave. Withdrawal. We already talked about this. This is going into your shell. Okay, I'm just going to hide out. I'm going to lay in my bed in a fetal position and maybe the next day will be better. Man, this is real. This is where people live. But we may not do something. That's really obvious, and that's pretty, that's pretty over the top. That's pretty extreme. But what about people who just withdraw in general? They're in a room, and they just become the wallflower. And then they say, oh, wait, I'm an, intro, I'm an introvert, and my Enneagram number is, and whatever. So there's a reason. There's all these reasons why I'm this way. So they bolster and build a case why it's okay for them to not engage. And they hide out. Do you all know that I'm an introvert? Some of you are going, what? No way. Yeah, I'm an introvert. And here's what happens. I love all of you dearly. But like my iPhone, when it gets down to 10%, that little red thing comes up, I better go plug it into the wall or it's dead. There comes a, a point where I fade out and I've done all I can. And listen, this is nothing personal. I need to go recharge. Because that's what an introvert does. It's how you recharge your batteries. An extrovert will recharge by being around people. Now, I'm an extroverted introvert. I'm a gregarious introvert. I love people. I'm passionate about people. I, I'm in the people business because I love getting to do this. What a privilege. But make no mistake, on Sunday afternoon, am I tired, baby? I'm tired. And sometimes at lunch on Sunday, I'm a little vulnerable. So I, I, you know, I'm not responsible for what comes out of my mouth at lunch. I'm just saying I'm done by that time. I'm kidding. But there is a sense where if I don't go recharge, but I, so... Withdrawal. It's easy for me to not be around people. I like going in the cave. I like cave time. I like driving out to Knot Creek Falls and there not being a soul on that property. Me getting one of those cabins, which Matt is so generous in letting me use, and I can just sit out there in nature and just be. It's beautiful. But if I'm not careful, I'll withdraw too much too much, and I'll start hiding. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Being critical and judgmental. There's another one to self-protect. See, if I hurt you first, if I judge you, if I judge you and deem you and categorize you and label you, that puts me in control. So I'm going to criticize, I'm going to judge because, A, that makes me feel better about myself. We knew that there were kids who did that in sixth grade, right? You do know there are adults who do that at 50, 60, 70, and 80, right? Remember, we never really grow up. We just hide it better. So this still happens. We'll find ourselves. It's almost like getting the first blow in. See, if I get the first blow in, if I, if I make the first statement, the first attack, then I'm on the offense, not the defense, so I'm going to get the first lick in. Being critical, being judgmental. Here's another one, manipulation. This is the control thing. We want to control. We're going to, we're going to control the situation. That way I feel powerful. You know what true freedom is? True freedom is when you don't have to be in control and you can still enjoy the day. You don't have to have it all figured out and it's okay. You don't have to have an answer to everything and it's okay. You, you're okay with the wow. You don't have to know the how on everything. You just go, wow. 
I say wow a lot these days. Wow. Somebody tells me something crazy that happened, some wild miracle. I don't go, wait, how did that happen? How in the world did that happen? Is that even physically possible? I don't go into that. I just go, wow. Wow. God's amazing. God's good. I've quit trying to figure it all out. Somebody tells me they, they do something that they see in the Bible that happened in the book of Acts, and maybe I'm not familiar with that, or it's an expression I'm not used to. I just go, wow. Way to go. Yay, God. See, I don't have to have it all figured out. It's kind of what happened to Chris. He told that story about that, that young man that, that the Holy Spirit just told me to speak to him in a normal tone. Don't get all, you know, authority and all that. Just, hey, be still in the name of Jesus. And the God just... And then he got saved by the end of that weekend, walked, up, walked away from that retreat, a follower of Jesus. That, all that was, that was a wow. <laughs> How did that happen? I don't know. I do know, my under, I do know my identity, and I understand my authority. So that's how, but... But how, the how-how, it's, it's all God. It's all God. Let it go. Let it go. Here's another one. Being in control, that goes along with manipulation. Controlling others. I know there's no control freaks in here. I know no one in here is that person. Uh, but we know people like that, do we not? We've been around people who are control freaks and uh, just out of their minds. Got to have air. My brother, I love my brother, he would tell you this if he was standing here, but he has, he has suffered from some mental health issues, and one of them being severe OCD. And I didn't realize obsessive-compulsive disorder, and I didn't realize how severe it was until recently, this last year. We were, he started telling me about some of his tics, some of his things, and, and I always knew he was a control freak uh, because of just being around his car. Because he's the kind of guy that would actually clean his car with a toothbrush on the inside to make sure all the dust is out of the cracks in the vents. And he's the guy with a Q-tip getting in all the cracks. I was like, would you do that to my car, please? His car was always immaculate. But I didn't know also he had this thing where when he goes out of a room, he has to flip the light switch five times. Every time. Five times. Click, 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 click. And he said he does it so normally and naturally he doesn't even realize he's doing it until Patty, his wife, says, Jerry, what are you doing? He's like, I, I don't know, just five times. Or I have to check the deadbolt three times. Click, 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 click. He has a lot of those, those compulsions. And what that is, it's, it's a control issue. Those who have OCD typically are out of control in a region of their life, and so they compensate by, with things that are tangible and easy, like a light switch, a lock, the dishes, the bed, the car, whatever. It could be a lot of things. So it's a, it's a compensation mechanism. They're compensating for an area they feel like they're out of control. God, wouldn't you want to be free in Jesus where it was like, okay, for the car to be dirty? I think we're okay with that right now, right, honey? Every day she's like, would you please go wash my car? I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to rain. It's going to rain eventually. And so that's not my issue. <laughs> Controlling circumstances, situations, no need to go into that. And then even self-control, that over, over. Yeah, here's the deal. You do know that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, not a fruit of the flesh. Self-control is not something. If, it's, if your source is your flesh, you're in sin. You're actually, you're, you're sinning as though you're controlling somebody else. That doesn't mean we don't make good decisions when we're not followers of Jesus. But I'm just saying, if it's all about you controlling you and everything to where everything is high and tight and needy, uh, neat, and, and you'll never step outside the lines, you'll never go out, and everything's got to be perfect from your hair to your teeth to your car to your hair to your teeth. I mean, it's just this over-absorption with self. And that's the problem. Self is the source. We learned in living life from a new source that he is our source. And so self-control is actually a fruit of the Spirit. It's listed as the nine, you know, in the nine fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. 
But it's not you controlling you. It's the Spirit of God controlling you. It's Him being in control. So you're able to govern yourself under the government of Jesus, under the kingdom. And you're able to, to maintain and do well and make good decisions and think well. And, you know, you've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind, the ability to think well. That all comes from Him. He's the source. Amen? So why self-protection is a lie? We already know this. I'm not going to spend much time on this because I, I beat this drum and will continue to. So you'll always hear this. Here's number one. The self you are protecting is dead. We've talked about this in here. Remember uh, Galatians 2.20, been crucified in Christ. We'll look at that in just a second. The self or the self-life you're protecting was crucified with Christ on the cross. Somebody say amen by faith. You died with him on the cross. You have to look at the grammar in the scripture to realize, wait a minute, I was crucified in Christ. When I stepped over the line and gave my heart to Jesus, again, we're relegated to time, linear time right here, but the kingdom is not. So in that moment, just say wow, in that moment that you stepped over the line and went all in with Jesus and you said, I surrender, I get your mind, I'm yours. I give you everything. It's as though you were time travel. I mean, that's the worst, terrible illustration ever. But it's like a back to the future moment where you're suddenly in a, you're crucified with him. It's like retroactive. How does that work? I don't know. Just say, wow. Wow. It's because the kingdom's not relegated to linear time like we are. Let that blow your mind for a little bit because it will if you think too much about it. And I think a lot about it. The self-life you're protecting was crucified with Christ. Romans 6, 6, For we know that our old self, self-life, was crucified with him. Was crucified with him. Past tense. The moment you're born again, the moment you're born from above, the moment you're born of the Spirit, it's as though you're transported somehow, some way, and you're in Christ in that moment. And you know what that means? That means in a very real sense... We're walking dead men and women. Oh, but wait, there's more. And there is, and I'll show you in this next verse. Look at this in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Have been, past tense. Somehow, someway, I was placed into Jesus when I gave my heart to Christ. And I no longer live, but... Remember what but means? Everything that goes before it is negated. It's like, oh, no, here's the truth. That was that, but this is the truth. But Christ lives in and through me. Now it says this. The life I live in the body, okay? So now I'm living from a new source. I've been raised to walk in newness of life, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Go back to the beginning. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. So I remember one day I got this heavy revy. I was thinking about things. I probably was pouting, got my feelings hurt about something. And the Lord just sort of told me, I didn't hear a voice, but just this thought came, uh, can you kill a dead man? I'm like, what? He said, you can't kill a dead man. And then he took me back to the dead bloated manatee I found on a beach in Mexico. Yeah, I've never told that story here. So I was, I was on a mission trip down in Mexico, down on the Baja Peninsula. We were down in this little village, loving people and having a blast. I took a whole bunch of students down there. We, we went a lot down there when I was in Southern California. And uh, I went out on this rocky beach. It wasn't typical sand. It was all rock. It's beautiful and wild and untamed and hardly anything out there. It was just real beach, like no people. And, and I, I see this big thing, this big black-looking thing down the beach. I'm like, man, that looks like an animal of some kind. And as I got close to it, I thought it was a whale. It was so big. I got to it. It was a manatee. And apparently it had been laying there a while because it was swollen. It was huge. And I did what any guy in here would do. I started throwing rocks in it, and it would go stick in. And Yeah, I mean, yeah, I know you guys. It's a guy thing. We just we can't leave well enough alone. We're just boys in our hearts. But you know what? Anything I did to that big, dead, bloated manatee didn't hurt it a bit. It felt no pain. It felt no... Nothing affected it. It was dead. I could not hurt it even though I was 
throwing rocks into it and stuff. Just curious. It was dead. It couldn't be hurt. If we've been crucified with Christ and we're walking dead, man, now we're raised to walk in new life, but our old life is dead, why would we self-protect the old life? What's there to protect? There's nothing there. Does that make sense? We're in Christ. It's a new day. We move forward, right? One foot in front of the other. We're moving forward. We're not living by, by looking in the rearview mirror. We're going forward because it's a new day and tomorrow's a new day. And his mercies are new when? Every morning. Every day. That's the joy of this thing. A couple more. Two key truths that prove we no longer have to protect ourselves. Here's the second one. You have a new self. Oh, this is where it gets fun. So the old self has been crucified in Christ. Now there's a new self. 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone, anyone is in Christ, not a handful, not just an esoteric few, not just the, not just the elite, the spiritual strong and the perfect people. Remember, no perfect people allowed here. He says this, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation, the new self has come, the old self has gone, the new is here. Isn't that beautiful? The new, all things become new if you're in Christ. That's one of my favorite treasured verses. Since your old self has been crucified and you now live or have a new identity, a new self, you no longer have to protect yourself. Isn't that beautiful? And can you imagine if this, if we got the revelation of this? I mean, literally, this, this took root in your soul. Can you imagine how you would live differently? You know, I think you'd laugh a lot more. I think you'd dance a lot more. Albeit awkwardly, but you would dance more, right? You would just go, wow. You'd wake up with a wow. Wow, we get to have this day. I tell our staff this almost every staff meeting. I go, do you realize we get to do this? I've been doing this 35 years. I'm still excited about it. I'm still blown away I get to do what I do. I'm, it blows my mind that God would allow me to do what I get to do. I'm getting to do this. Wow. So I wake up early almost every morning before the alarm goes off, typically, because I'm just excited because I get to do this. That's living from a new identity, a new self. And that's just throwing off the old stuff and going, I don't, give me a hug. Come on, just give me a hug. So here's a couple. We're down to the last slide. Freedom from self-protection results in this. The free, you're free to love. It, it seems simple, right? Like the Geico commercial. So simple a caveman can get it. So why don't we? <laughs> it's simple. When you're free from having to guard and protect you, you're free to love. You're free to hug. <laughs> you're free to high five. You're free to laugh. You're free to smile. You're just free. And you know what else you're free from? Labels. Labels. I have people come up to me all the time. It's crazy. Go, are you one of these kind of guys? This is theological position. I'm like, depends on what week you catch me, dude. I'm serious. I tell people that. You try to nail me down theologically, oh, good luck. I'm a hybrid if there ever was one. I, I, like, what this, I like what the Pentecostals are doing over here. I want some more of that. And man, I love what the Baptists are doing over here because they are passionate about missions. They're passionate about, they want to win everybody to Jesus, whether they want to be one to Christ or not. They're going to tell them about Jesus. I want some of that. And get me over here with the assembly of God because, man, they got something called a prayer language. Give me some of that. I want to know more about what they're up to. And what about these people over here speaking the word of faith, believing God, believing God, audacious? Give me some of that. So what am I? It depends on what day you show up. When you're free, you can enjoy the tapestry that God's created called the body of Christ and not be stuck in one thing. Why? Why would you live in a prefab home where you can custom build with the kingdom of God and the freedom of God and build a palace? Why would you just be relegated to some little custom home sitting on cinder block bricks when you can have the banqueting, the, the massive architecture of the kingdom of God right in front of you? You can go, yeah. Oh, God, that's you. And I recognize you there, and I see you that. Tomorrow at 1030, we've got 30-plus pastors coming to our church for a ministerial alliance meeting. I am giddy. 
Because I just want to be around the body of Christ. And these men who are in Lutheran, Episcopalian, Catholic, non-denominational, hyper-denominational, non-grace, hyper-grace. I mean, we got them all. And you know what? I love every stinking one of them. Because they are beautiful souls, and they represent one element of the kingdom. They're one facet of a very large jewel called the kingdom of God. And to think that we got that whole thing figured out, how arrogant is that? So how fun it is to hang out with the body of Christ. Man, do we all believe the same stuff? Oh, no. Jeez, no. So what? None of that stuff's a deal breaker for relationship. Amen? Ah. Open up. Let go. And stop self-protecting and say, Jesus, let's just pray together right now. Jesus. Oh, Lord, would you rip the non-artillery piercing armor that we have built over our hearts, over our minds, over our souls? May we become open again. And Father, there was a time in our childhood where we were free and unhindered and unbounded and open, and whatever there are things that happened that shut us down, Might have been one thing, could have been cumulative over time, but we all in this room have had enough experience, enough tread wear under our tires to have shut down parts of our heart, parts of our soul. Would you grant us the grace, Father, to step into a place of openness again and childlike faith and joy and give us the freedom to enjoy the kingdom and to enjoy the beauty that this world has to offer. In one hand, it looks like the whole thing's out of control, but I saw the hills this morning and, and the colors of autumn, and I was just struck with awe at your, your beauty and your grace. And Lord, give us grace to drink it in and receive Father, may we just take the body armor off and be free again. Give us, give us grace to be free. And if we're at a place where we just have to declare it by faith before we feel it, before we experience it, that's good. That's good. So, Lord, by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. But eventually, I thank you that we get to see. So I pray for my friends right here that find themselves self-protecting find themselves in the pages of what we just shared. And, and Lord, give them grace to take steps, and throw off the shackles, throw off the bindings, take off the straitjacket of fear and enjoy the freedom in Christ that's theirs. Would you do that, Father, for them? We love you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. I love you all. Oh, 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 oh,